reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, which is on page 1175. Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, as we come to this last um, talk in the series of, from Ephesians chapter 4, thank you for the way that you do speak into our lives through your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us and points us towards Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the way it's just so practical and so relevant for our lives. And pray that once more that you would speak to us and show us, Lord, where we need correction Show us where we need to be challenged and encourage us, we pray, Lord, as we look into your word. Because we, we know, Lord, it's only through your power that we can live the lives that you call us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're told to take off the old self and put on the new self. Um, Paul is using the metaphor of clothes to help us uh, understand what it means to live the Christian life. Um, becoming a Christian is like being given a whole new set of clothes to wear. So you get rid of all the old clothes and you wear the new clothes that Christ has given us. And last week we used, um, I used uh, an illustration which seems to strike a chord with a number of people because of the comments I got after the service, which is about going to the, how we go to the charity shop. When we buy new clothes and we want to make new, room for our new clothes in our wardrobe, then we start to empty the clothes out of the wardrobe that we no longer need and we stuff them into black bin bags and uh, off we go to the charity shop and give them to the charity shop. But would we ever consider going back and buying those clothes again from the shop? Where some people are nodding. <laughs> that worries me. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we don't even get to the shop and we're starting to, you know, rummage in the bag and pull out, pull out the clothes before we've even got to the shop. You know, as Christians, it's so easy, isn't it? 
for us to go back to the old ways, the old habits, the old ways of behaving, and forget that actually we've been made new in Christ. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. And we've been considering for the last few weeks the question, um, what makes a healthy church? Because we believe that when a church is in good health, that it'll grow, because living things just grow. That's just what they do. So we want to be a healthy church. But there's a danger here, the danger of us kind of looking at everybody else and assessing everybody else without allowing the question to penetrate our hearts. The Christian writer A.W. Tozer says this, he says, what the church does is what individuals do. How well or how sick a church is depends on how well the individuals are. In other words, it depends on me and it depends on you. We can't look at everybody else. We have to look at ourselves. The church is made up of individuals. And as individuals, we need to be coming to the Lord and saying, how well am I doing, Lord? I've come a long way, I know that. But I'm going back into some of my old ways of thinking, some of my old ways of behaving. Please help me to turn away from those things and to grow in faith and love. Because if we want to transform our community, we can only do that when our own hearts have been transformed. Coming to church isn't a self-improvement program. You know, as Christians, we believe that we've been filled with God's Spirit. When we come to Jesus in faith and repentance, and he gives us his Spirit, and it's his Spirit that works in us, that enables us to live the life that he calls us to lead. So, what do these new clothes look like that we're asked to wear as Christians? Well, we've got four descriptions in our passage this morning, and we see that um, disciples of Jesus walk in truth, disciples of Jesus are quick to resolve conflict, Disciples of Jesus work in order to share with others, and disciples of Jesus use words to build each other up. So first of all, disciples of Jesus walk in truth in verse 25. Let's read it together. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So Paul is giving us a negative command, which is followed by a positive instruction. He's saying, put off falsehood, and speak truthfully. Lies are out, truth is in. A few weeks ago, we looked at this um, in verse 15, you may remember. In verse 15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So we see how important it is that we talk uh, in truth to one another within our church families. But we are to do that with gentleness, and it must be motivated by love. Telling the truth is important in every aspect of our lives, but particularly Paul is linking it here to life within the church. Because looking at the end of verse 25, he says, for we are all members of one body. So our common life as a church family must be marked not by deceit or by lies, but by truth. We need to be able to speak to one another the truth. In fact, our maturity depends on it. So if you see someone going in the wrong direction, in their lives, then pray first and ask for, wait for an opportunity to talk with them. Don't nod too quickly when I justify why I'm doing something that's clearly wrong. Don't just say okay when it's not okay. It's important that we are accountable to one another, to speak the truth to one another with love. 
as we seek the growth and maturity in the church that we long for, we need to put away falsehood and embrace truth. The next issue that Paul talks about is that disciples of Jesus are quick to resolve conflict. Let's read verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You've probably spotted already in this verse um, that um, the Bible doesn't, doesn't forbid anger. Anger is a very natural human emotion. But Paul insists it must not lead us into sin. So Paul is saying, put off anger that leads us to sin. Be quick to resolve conflict with each other. He's saying, keep short accounts. Don't hold grudges against one another. I wonder if you've noticed, if you have a computer or a laptop, um, that when you turn it off um, at the end of the day, it takes time to switch off. This is because it's checking for viruses. And these verses tell us how to deal with anger. We are told to let it go by the end of the day. I don't know if you're in the habit of, um, in those moments before you drift off to sleep, but to spend those moments just praying. If not, it's a good habit to do. And it's often in those moments when we're alone before God that our minds refuse to switch off. And sometimes that's because we're still angry about something that's happened during the day. But that's a warning for us to deal with the virus in our hearts, to seek God's forgiveness. And when we refuse to deal with that anger, then very often it grows into something else. It's described in verse 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So how can we identify unhelpful anger? Well, verse 31 indicates that anger can spring not just from what someone else has done, but also from our own thinking. We need to ask ourselves if our anger comes from our own injured pride, from spite, from malice or revenge. And if we're honest, often the things that we're angry about are a result of these things. And to nail his point, um, Paul, Paul wants us to grasp something else. He says in verse 27, do not let the devil get a foothold. He's reminding us of God's big plan to bring us all together under Christ. The Spirit is building us into a temple, a dwelling place for God. So if I hold on to my anger, then it gives the devil a foothold, an opportunity to cause division. And I'm working against what God is doing. The next issue we have is that disciples of Jesus work in order to share with others. Let's look in verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Of course, those who have health problems and can't work, those who are caring for children or for um, elderly people who are retired, obviously it's not saying they should all go and get a job, um, but the principle here is that we, how are we spending our time and our monies and our resources? Are, are we using it to actually help others or are we, or are we just entirely focused on our own needs? A few years ago, I attended a Pentecostal church that had a connection with a group of Romani travelers. And a group of these uh, travelers had become Christians. And I remember on one occasion, sitting in the trailer with them, with the Christian family, and, and talking about what, what a difference it made for them being Christians. And they talked about their new desire to be, to be honest. And as a result, they didn't exploit other people or overcharge them. 
But they struggled with that because they could see that some of the other families on the site who weren't Christians had more money than they did. It didn't appear to be financially beneficial to being a Christian. They'd stopped stealing and they were working honestly. Perhaps you're thinking, well, these verses don't apply to me. We've never stolen from work. We've never exaggerated our expense forms. We've never searched for our holiday on the internet during work time. We've never taken extra time for our lunch break, which we were not entitled to, or have we? We are told to take off stealing and put on working honestly. And why are we to do this? So that we can have something to share with those in need. What an amazing motivation that is to earn money, (laughs) so that we can share with those in need. This is radical stuff. In the beginning of the chapter, Paul reminds us that we are no longer to live like the Gentiles, no longer to live like those who don't have faith. He says their lifestyle was characterized by continual lust for more. You see, materialism isn't a modern phenomenon. It's age-old. The desire for a bigger house, a fatter wage packet, a faster car, more holidays, a new wardrobe. Nothing, nothing wrong with all of these things until they become the overriding goal of our lives. So Paul turns all of this on its head and tells us we are, work, we are to work in order to help those in need or whatever time and resources and money we've got to help others. You see, it isn't just that stealing is wrong, but that God calls us to care for one another. In my, the last church that I was in, in our parish, we used to, on a Monday morning, um, serve a hot lunch um, to people who were struggling with life. So we had people who were homeless that came in, people with drug alcohol dependencies, people who'd been sanctioned by the DWP and had no money to buy food. Um, and um, one particular Monday, um, one of the church members <coughs> early in, in the morning, on the Monday morning, came in with some big bags of old duvets and sleeping bags and blankets. She had a bit of a clear out and she brought them in. Little did she know that the previous night, two of our regulars um, had been made homeless and they'd spent the whole night wandering around in the pouring rain. And when they came to have a meal um, that Monday lunchtime, we asked them how could we help them. They said, well, we really need some blankets. We really need something warm to keep us at night. And so we said, well, here they are. And they, had, they were delighted to be able to take away some, some, something just very practical to help them. And how wonderful for that woman to know that she'd shared in a small way that that was able to help somebody in need. Next, Paul reminds us of the importance of our speech. Let's read verse 29. Disciples of Jesus use words to build each other up. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be of benefit to those who listen. They say that attendance at cathedral services has grown in recent years. And one of the reasons that people suggest why that happens is that you can attend a service in the cathedral and be fairly anonymous. Um, You can go to a service but avoid actually engaging uh, with people. But in these verses, Paul insists that the the only way we can live out our new identity as Christians is to share our lives with each other. So how can we learn to share? How can we learn to forgive? How can we learn to be unselfish if we avoid other people? How can we learn to speak the truth, use words that build each other up, if we attempt to live the Christian life in isolation? Of course, one of the reasons why people avoid engaging with others is that they've been hurt in the past. 
hurt by unkind words, criticisms or judgmental statements made by other Christians of all people. It happens, doesn't it? And sometimes people stay on the edge to avoid getting hurt again. Our words can destroy other people or they can build them up. We can use our words to tear each other apart or to build each other up. And Paul points us again to the bigger truth in verse verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As Christians, we believe that we have God's Spirit in our lives. And Paul is saying, if you really understood that God's Spirit is dwelling in you, then you'll be careful how you spoke to other people. You would remember that the Spirit hears what you say. Do you want to grieve or upset the Spirit by using coarse language and making destructive comments or gossiping? Paul explains that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. What does he mean by that? Well, a seal at the time when this letter was written was something you put on a letter to show who it was from. It was a mark of ownership. And he's saying that the Holy Spirit is God's seal on each one of us when we put our faith in Jesus. It shows that we belong to him. We are stamped as God's very own. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives marks the beginning of our life of faith and it goes on through to the day of redemption and looks to the end of time when our salvation will be complete. And in between these two great events, we are to grow and become more like Christ and take care not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Finally, let's read verse chapter 4, verse 32 with these wonderful words. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He tells us to be kind to one another. We don't hear a lot about kindness, do we? I wonder if that's because we make a bit of a joke about being nice Christians. And yet kindness, mutual forgiveness, compassion, is at the very heart of what it means to be in a Christian community. And if we desire to be imitators of God, then we have to be kind to each other, just as God has been kind to us. I mean, just imagine for a moment a God who is unkind, who makes snide remarks about us, who tells lies, who's always losing his temper with us, who always puts us down. How would you feel about a God like that? I guess it would be similar to the way we would feel about each other when we behave in this way. But as Christians, we are called to be kind to one another. You see, the message of the gospel isn't something we just believe and share with others. It's the message that we actually live out in our daily lives. Just as God has shown kindness to us in sending Jesus to die for our sins, so we are called to show kindness to one another, even if that other person doesn't deserve it. So we end with these wonderful words in chapter 5. We've just just moved a little bit into the next chapter. Hadn't planned to, but we are. We're there. Verses 1 and 2. Let's end with these wonderful words as we reflect on God's call on our lives to live holy lives, to, to walk in his ways. Let's hear these words. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray together. Father, when we look at these words, we confess that we can't do them on our own. We can only do them 
by the power of your spirit at work in our lives. And so once more, we bring ourselves to you and ask, Lord, for you to fill us again with your spirit so that we can live lives which honour and please you. Fill us up, Lord, so that we overflow and share that love with others that we meet this week. Help us not to be ashamed or embarrassed, but let us be confident in the love and the peace, the joy that we have found in knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.